0: Let's talk about the running backs. Uh, most of the arguments from running backs are not great arguments about the running backs. So sorry to the running backs. Dinah Rossini on that. Some AFC East stuff and one quarterback down south that'll probably be taking over soon. And Marty Fish, what happened on 18 Tahoe? That, a little. Alcaraz. also, also, uh, he's into MMA as well, with life advice. A long one for you. Enjoy. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports news shows and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Well, the running backs uh, are not happy. So let's talk about running backs in the NFL. If you know one thing about me, you know that I don't like BS arguments. I'd swear, but it's very early into the podcast. I just don't like arguments where I look at it and go, you know what? A lot of the stuff you're saying just isn't applicable to your current position as a running back in the NFL. There's two things working against running backs, reality and evolution. Uh, the past is more valuable. It took the NFL way too long to figure this out. I remember the two things quote. You remember that one? I don't know if that was a Parcells one or not, but it got repeated all the time. It was like, only three things can happen on a pass and two of them are bad incompletion and interception. I never understood it because it was like, well, what would like, so it's a 50% success ratio on runs. You could argue three things can happen on a run and two of them are bad if you throw a fumble in there, right? Um, I never understood. I Look, identity, punch him in the mouth, let him feel you, you know, that kind of stuff, right? But like the first play in an NFL game where the defense, it's their first snap. They're never going to have more energy, and they're never going to be more excited. And then you decide to run it right up the middle. It's like, cool, now it's second and nine. So the league always should have been passing more. You should have been putting athletes out in space, and the reward of what a pass attempt could be far out outweighs what a rushing attempt could be, despite the understanding of knowing that there should be balance. Uh, But that was a quote that a lot of people hung on to for a long time. I don't remember if it was necessarily a Parcells one. Parcells used to have, you know, the record is you are are what your record says you are. I don't know. What if my first eight games are against way tougher opponents than yours and we're both four and four? I don't buy that one either. I remember there was another rushing stat that never made any sense to me. And they used to actually put this into like research packets and they would put graphics up on television, whether it was ESPN, CBS, Fox. And it was like, oh, when this team runs it 22 or more times, they win 78% of their games. And then you start thinking to be like, wait, is it because they're running or are they running because they're already winning the game? And then we realized, yeah, that's kind of a dumb stat. So let's get rid of that one. We have grown up for decades thinking that you had to run the football late in the season to win a Super Bowl it's just not true anymore it's nice balance is nice keeping the defense honest but it's not a priority and the running backs are feeling that pain um, when I look at the passing evolution of it working its way up from high school college and then to the NFL which is more fun and I think just better off your better overall reward math that we've talked about here uh in a football game it's a lot like the NBA I mean the, the the correlation is very similar to the NBA. They should have been shooting more threes. And I'll admit, there's league past nights where I'm like, "This sucks. I don't want to watch this tonight." It's just a three-point shooting contest, but it's the best way if there's a talent gap to try to hang in a game, uh, even if I missed some of the stuff that I grew up with. You know, do I really miss post play? <laughs> Maybe a little. Uh, And I realize that Jokic and Embiid are two of the best players in the league, but Jokic is in his own category of like what he's capable of doing. And Embiid, I still think if your playoff success is based on dumping into a big who's going to have double and triple teams swarming all over himself, and then the ball is going to have to get kicked out to somebody else, like I don't know that you really want to run your team or your offense through the post. Although I've been willing to maybe zag on post positioning, but I have not come to any kind of conclusion. On any of this, this is the evolution of sports. I mean, you know, do you remember like we used to have power forwards where he was the other guy on a block? NBA offenses had a center on one block and a power forward on the other block. Can you imagine running two different guys in the post in a game today? You just, you just wouldn't do it. I mean, should it make you sad? I don't think it should. Um, power forwards that can't shoot in today's NBA, you know what they're called? Backup centers. Right, They're not going to let you be out there playing the four if you can't shoot. You just don't. Because it's like, look, we need more spacing. We need more shooters because the reward is there. Uh, another thing about the uh, declining importance of fullbacks, although I'd argue that some of the worst content is preceded by if Kyrie did this, dot, 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 and also keep that same energy followed by awful point, But where is the same energy for the fullbacks? Do you know which fullback led the NFL in carries last season? Derek Watt with nine. That tied for 180th for all football players that carried the football. There are only 26 fullbacks under contract, according to some of the salary data that's out there now. You want to know why? Because NFL teams are like, look, it's kind of cool having one of these guys. But we give them like maybe a carry, a game. And if he's a great blocker, there's something in there. But a lot of times the defense doesn't have to worry about that guy running out into the flat maybe once. How many fullback wheel routes have you watched recently? So the NFL went away from it. The same way the NFL went away from the massive neck roll middle linebacker who couldn't turn and run with anybody. The same way we just don't see like those traditional nose tackles line up over the center for 60 snaps on defense. The game. Got different. So the other stat, running back argument that I've heard in the past that is supposed to give us sympathy for the position is that the running backs have the shortest careers of any of the positions in the NFL. And yes, that's true. Looking at multiple references, you're going to come up with a, a career expectancy of just over two and a half years for running backs. It is the worst on average for any of those positions. Do you want to know what the average length of a wide receiver's career is using the same references? 2.8 years. Nobody says shit about the receivers. Okay, this is about turnover. This is about massive rosters and replenishing it every year with seven rounds of draft picks on top of all the other supplemental picks that you get. The reason I've never understood the two and a half year lifespan for the running back, and I remember doing this Back in the day on the radio show where I got research involved, and I said, we need to dig into this and look at this because that doesn't make any sense to me. I think the running backs that we are aware of play a lot longer than two and a half years. And we went through it and it's it's one of the most misleading things or apply it this way. It's misleading for everybody because you're including in all of the draft picks that never even get a chance. Those drag the overall numbers down. If you want to look at just the top 10 running backs, and I just randomly picked two years, I could do it for any of the seasons. If you looked at the top 10 running backs from 2010, right? The leaders in rushing yards. The average career length for those top 10 running backs was 9.7 years. Then I picked another year because I've already done this. 2015, top 10 running backs. Their average career length was 10 and a half years. Now I understand what you're saying, right? Because you're you and you're doing you stuff. But Ryan... You just pick the top 10 running backs. That's kind of the point. The ones that are good play a much longer time than is advertised. You can't be in the league 10 years going, you know, we only play for like two and a half years. But no, that's not true. It's sort of true, but it's very misleading. How come the receivers never say, hey, we only play 2.8 years because they're the ones that are still getting paid. Now, if you look at those running back numbers for even the top guys, right? Their numbers fall off a cliff. But guess what? So do all the other positions in the NFL who, at the end of their career, is like, this guy's still awesome, but we're going to get rid of him. This guy's still awesome. And yes, there are exceptions to some players that are terrific, decide they want to walk, uh, walk away from a very violent game. But the reason that two and a half years for a career number exists isn't because it's just unfair. It's because of the massive amount of turnover that happens at that position and really every other position. There's just one that needs to be last. I looked at the draft. Let's talk about turnover again. I could have done this for a ton of different draft classes where I could compare the quarterbacks to running backs, but I did two classes to make two different points. In two thousand nine, there were eleven quarterbacks drafted. The average length of the career for those quarterbacks was three point four five years. There were twenty three running backs drafted in that same class. The average of their careers four point three nine years. Wait, that's weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. That that year's running back class had a longer career. Now, to show my work here, it was tough. It was tough figuring out do I count that year if he's on IR? Yes, because for every Rhett Bomar, there was um a Frank Summers, right? When I was like, wait, the practice squad doesn't count. IR does. Maybe he was on, but doesn't have any stats. For the most part, I think it worked itself out. I wanted to look at another draft class that challenged the premise of this, all right? I wanted to find a quarterback class that actually had a much longer lifespan in the NFL than the running backs did. I found it in 2011. There were 12 quarterbacks drafted. They had an average career length of 6.58 years, all right? There were 29 running backs drafted that year for an average career length of 4.86 years. Actually, both of those classes ended up having careers that were like two years longer than the average for the position for everybody that's in the league. But the point is, it's not that that quarterback class won the longevity contest. The point is, there were 29 running backs drafted. Almost every team could argue they took a running back that year. That wouldn't happen with quarterbacks, despite the fact that you know, usually you're still carrying two. Some of the teams will carry three. If you look at it, I remember Danny Cannell used to always talk about this when he was trying to hang on in the NFL, and he'd be like, can I just be your third-string guy? And then Shanahan took him over. And he's like, look how rarely the third guy ever plays. And a lot of the second guy snaps are a lot lower than you ever imagine. So roster-wise, you'd still probably have a few more running backs. But if you're taking between 20 and 30 running backs – Every year in the NFL draft, like they do, the turnover is just going to happen. Now, is the turnover fair? No, not necessarily. I've said this about quarterbacks for a really long time. I feel like the NFL eats their own quarterbacks. They draft a guy in the fourth round. There's a starter in place. The fourth round guy never gets any reps. We have no idea if he could ever really do it or not. There's a pretty good chance if they've seen him taking reps in practice, he's been around the team facility for two years, and they decide to draft another quarterback in the fourth round to get rid of him. They at least think they know one guy can't do it. The next guy, they don't know if he can do it, but they don't know that he can't, so he just gets replaced, and then it kind of ruins quarterback depth when you start looking at the depth charts when the season gets started. You're like, who's that guy? We actually said that about Mike White once. Maybe a guy. But it's the same thing for running backs, but just at a bigger scale. When you're taking this many, there's somebody that was drafted in the fifth round, doesn't get that many snaps, probably playing special teams, Not really making that much of an impact. And they're like, you know what? He's 23, he's 24. We don't really think he's that special. We could never imagine giving him 10, 15 carries. We don't really think he's much of a threat in the passing game. So you know what? We'll just draft another one. It's not unfair. It's just the reality of the way business is done. I hate that Saquon Barkley was hit with the franchise tag. Not so much specifically to Barkley, because if you've heard me before, I hate the franchise tag. People have argued, oh, wait, it doesn't actually get used that much. It's not that big of a deal. And if you've heard this before, I apologize. But for the new listeners, it's not that when it's used, it's that it exists. It suppresses true free agency for some of the players. And for Barkley, he doesn't want the tag. And I get it. But if part of your argument is, I want the tag, because I hear this running back argument all the time. And I mentioned it before. Hey, they take a ton of punishment, right? I've got to get my money while I can get it now. If your argument is, I'm probably going to be hurt, so I need to be paid more, that's not a good argument. If I show up to the job site and say, I need to get paid more hourly because I'm going to miss a lot of days to make up for the time lost, that's not going to work. That's not a real negotiation. And it gets thrown around like it's a good point all the time. Hey, these guys get hurt all the time take care of them. Not if you're running a business. Now, I don't blame, again, Barkley for being upset about it. I don't like that the tag exists. And sure, he'd probably make more guaranteed money if he were a true free agent. But Dalvin Cook's going to be 28 next month. Where's the interest for that guy? Apparently, he wants like 10 million a year. But those deals are done. They're done. Ezekiel Elliott's deal was terrible. It was terrible when it happened. They ended up paying him $50 million or so for four years. It wasn't worth it. Saw a lot of NFL players get involved in the conversation. Maurice Jones Drew said, if you, don't have a, uh, if you don't have Mahomes, you need a top running back to win a Super Bowl. Let's discuss that. Uh, the last five Super Bowl winners, their leading rusher on the season, non-Mahomes. Sonny Michelle Rams, Ronald Jones, Tampa Bay. Sonny Michel again with the Pats. LeGarrette Blunt, Philly. LeGarrette Blunt, New England. Not a great point. Derrick Henry got really upset about it. And Derrick Henry's probably the second guy since Adrian Peterson where I've said that feels like one of the only dudes where the offense is about him more so than it is the quarterback. What Peterson did with the Vikings in a couple of those years, those teams weren't that good. I don't know if that'll ever happen again at that position. Henry's probably the closest thing we've had to it. Spare me the, yeah, my running back's really good too for like a year or two. I'm talking about carrying the offense for multiple seasons. I understand why he's upset. It's personal to him. He's a running back. But get rid of the position just because Saquon Barkley's not going to make Ezekiel Elliott money. Des Bryant tweeted about how kicker's annual salaries are higher than running back's annual salaries. Now, I don't know if I'll ever be at a point in my life where I feel one way about something and then go, "Eh, I feel a little different after this Des Bryant meme tweet. But it's a bad point because it completely eliminates the reality of how many more running backs are in the league versus how many kickers are in each roster. Okay? The league isn't paying productive players. The league has realized, and this has been going on for years, you just don't really want to make this investment in that position because the position, what they do is not as important as what the quarterback does, but it feels like a different topic altogether. I think because we just know who those guys are. I think we can name them. We don't care about all the old line guys that get replaced because they don't have stats, right? Running backs are still cool, right? Right. You're still buying their jerseys. You're still excited when your team drafts one of them. You're keeping track of all this stuff. But I think that's the only reason why it feels like there's this running back problem because it's still a far more identifiable player than all the other anonymous positions on an NFL roster. I get why the Giants tagged him. I get why Barkley hates it. But not only would I tag him if I were the Giants, I would have never taken him second overall. And I think he's a stud. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for, are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television. Because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. We got her while she was on vacation, sort of. Uh, Diana Rossini of ESPN. We're going to talk some NFL, just uh, throw some topics around. But before we get started on that, I just wanted to show her the orange juice I was having this morning in her honor. I know that she's stuck with the traditional OJ in the morning thing, and she was shamed for it publicly privately and i know no one cares about this except for her and i but i just think a nice fresh oj if it's done right is still pretty terrific in the morning and people just kind of pivoting away from it. it's kind of shocking to me and i'm worried about the industry kind of like running backs
1: yeah i've always been really concerned about the oj market i there isn't a day i wake up where i don't think like man what w- what Sunkis is going to do uh but I think that the advice you gave me years ago has really helped improve my overall health, which was to get off the sugary kind, right? Like the crap. That that was the issue. Um, I was drinking it a lot to start my day. Uh now, man, I'm happy if I just get a glass of water in me. So um I need to I need to lean back into the orange juice. So thanks for the reminder.
0: All right. Sounds good that's a lesson for the kids out there okay uh deandre hopkins the numbers i don't know if we have all of it i know some of the bonuses could take the two years 26 million to like 32 million um and once you saw that number at least i was like oh that's why the pats didn't get him because he was not going to be free you know, the pats are always in on these like big name guys where it's like it's a depressed market and with brady not being there um, But good for Hopkins, you know. I still think he's terrific, and Tennessee needs him. Even though I, I love the kid from Arkansas, still that they drafted. So, uh help us further understand this decision for DeAndre.
1: Do the Tennessee Titans get better with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins? Anybody joining that team can make the Tennessee Titans better at this point, because I think their roster just is. is it's it's a tough one this year. I think the Tennessee Titans have historically over the last few seasons shown that they have their identity. They know what they are. We, they show up. um, They're, they're not easy to, to ever play. They're always that team. Whenever you talk to their opponents, like they, they dread playing the Titans. But I think in terms of how Hopkins goes from making a team that's just okay. I think he makes them to now. Okay. Plus. <laughs> you know, I, and it was a need. Receiver was certainly a need. Uh, you know, Tannehill d- doesn't have a lot of weapons. You know, Traylon Burks is developing; he's getting better, but he's still really young and and, and really learning the the craft of being a professional football player. Um, but just to go, let's just take one step back before the actual decision was made. I think your instinct on the Patriots not wanting to pay that money. It was completely dead on because that's the truth. Um, you know, this, the visits he took, if you think about it, was, you know, over a month ago, uh, over, yeah, a month and a half ago, was early June when he went, went to uh, New England and he went to Tennessee. And when I spoke to people in both those buildings after the visits, it's like, everyone thought he was going there, like to to their individual teams. It was like, oh yeah, he's coming here. This was a great visit. Uh, you know, Tim Kelly is the offensive coordinator in Tennessee. Now they were together. He and DeAndre had like a great thing, a relationship. Obviously, Vrabel and Hopkins uh, were together in Houston. And, you know, it's, it's hard to get Vrabel excited about any player with the exception of like Jeffrey Simmons. Um, so you can never really get a feel for him whenever you talked with him about how badly he thought they needed Hopkins. But talking to other people in that building during the visit, they all just felt like this was gonna be they were gonna they were gonna get this guy because of Rabel. Like they're like he's gonna sell it, even though Vrabels will tell you he doesn't sell. You have to in this situation when you need a player like that. Then on the New England side, that one I thought was gonna have a little bit more drama because of the obvious situation relationship between O'Brien and DeAndre and what we saw happened in Houston. Like, I mean, God bless these guys. If they're able to just put that past them, I mean, I don't have that ability to forget to forget that easy, but they, they, they do, you know. And 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 I feel very comfortable sharing that I, I spoke to people involved in this, both of them, and and it's like everyone has moved on. Um, and I really felt like New England, specifically Bill O'Brien, they were really excited about getting a player like DeAndre Hopkins, but they. When it came down to it, that was going to be, that was going to be ownership and, and, and Bill Belichick's decision on whether or not they wanted to pay that much money, which you obviously can, can – it's quite apparent he was looking to make Odell Beckham Jr. type of money. That was very clear. We've been reporting that as well, and that is very much the truth.
0: So where does that leave the AFC East then?
1: I think it's – I can't figure out the top. I almost feel like I can figure out the bottom better. Start there
0: then. Um, Let's start there. Do you you look at New England and just go?
1: I look at New England as a team that has got to do a lot of cleanup. I do think the addition of Bill O'Brien was without a doubt their best, we'll we'll call it, get um, of the offseason because of his comfort with not just the Patriot way, but um, I just think his ability – Uh, To work with quarterbacks, Uh, anytime I've talked to anyone when he was in Houston, you know that was always there was always something that was interesting because I think from from afar and even from the fan perspective, looking at some of the success they had and obviously not a lot of the success that they had in Houston, I remember being conflicted with how I viewed him as a coach, but I always just leave it to the guys in the locker room and what they share with you, and I always got the sense that the guys really respected him and thought he was a really smart guy. And even talking to guys on the coaching staff of O'Brien, I remember being in Houston and and I'm not look, I I know guys aren't going to just go out there and just crush coaches to reporters. But you get to know these I was covering that league a lot um or through the division a lot um cuz that was it was like earlier in my NFL career and when you're not that good at ESPN, you got to cover the Texans um, and the Titans. Uh, those were like my teams, and so I was with them. And I, I kind of was—I was looking for more on O'Brien. Like, man, is this guy? Does he stink? Is he not good? And that was never the case. He was always like, "Man, no, he's good. We like you know, he's smart. He knows what he's doing on offense." So, uh, look, taking all that, I think, um, you know. Him in New England now, I think they're going to get a better version of Mac Jones. But, you know, from looking back from Mac's rookie year and hearing Belichick say like, yeah, this guy's great. Remember all the compliments we all were like is, is what's going on with Belichick to, you know, the guy can you know, the guy can play quarterback now is how he views them. So it's changed so much. But yeah, I, I look at New England as the team that probably has to prove the most. Because I, I don't, at this point in, in July, early August here, I have no idea what the New England Patriots are going to look like.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, whether it's the Bills, you're like, okay, I know what that is. And then even with Tua and the question there is in Miami, the roster from a talent standpoint, and then you have Rodgers with the Jets, and I love that Jets defense towards the end of the year. I was like, these guys are stacked. By the way, is Rodgers nicer to you now? No. No? I
1: don't, I don't think that's ever going to be a thing. Um, but that's okay. Like I, I have covered many players and coaches in my career who uh, do not like me, and I don't know if he doesn't like me. He just didn't like me calling him, which, um, you know, that, that that's fair. I get it. I don't like people calling me. Wait, either.
0: can we? Can we just go back? What's that like? You just you just call call him. You are like, hey, what's going on?
1: So you've known me a really long time, um, and I I like to think you know, my personality has helped a lot of my reporting, or at least some of the traits of my personality, which the ruthlessness, that like relentlessness, that kind of don't take no um, attitude, which is, I think a strength at times, but it's definitely a weakness as well, which applies to a lot of things outside of work that don't work well because of that attitude. Um, But I had Aaron's, Number and do you remember when he originally went on Pat McAfee? Um, about a year and a half. No, it was about a year and a half before this whole situation. And he said he was talking about insiders not knowing anything. And I had reported that he wanted a contract of fifty million dollars. And he went on Matt McAfee and said nobody knows anything. That's not true. So I was like, you know, let me reach out. Let me just shoot him a text and say, hey, I want to give you an avenue to make sure my information is correct. Because I'm getting it from someone very close to you, who I, you obviously know, and you don't know is telling me. So let's, why don't we have a conversation and we'll, we'll discuss what you want, what you want me to put out there. No answer. So, fast forward a year later, and the jet situation's coming to light, and so I reach out. Hey, a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, just wanted to give you an, an avenue if you want to talk. He never wrote me back which that's fine. Players, I, I have a million messages unanswered from players. Um, so but you and, know, just
0: to interrupt real quick, like hmm? you will always send that text. You will always ask to just be like, maybe, right? Like it's the job, well, what, Why
1: wouldn't you? And, and I would want it if I was an athlete because think about how many times in our own careers you think to yourself, why didn't, why didn't that media writer just reach out to me? Or why didn't someone just ask me? Um, and I've seen Aaron out and about, you know, it's not like he doesn't, he doesn't not know me, right? Like I've, we've talked, we've had conversations. I've seen him at charity events. I've seen him in Tahoe, um, uh, and I've covered the Green Bay Packers for years. Uh, so it's not like an, it wouldn't have been a weird text, some random girl, you know, is like le- a legit journalist from ESPN. And, and I obviously prefaced it this is who I am. But so just fast forward to, to, to this year, you know, we're trying to find out what is he doing? Is the deal done? And I'm sitting on set with Schefter and, and, you know, Adam's the best at what he does, but he can be really annoying sometimes because he, he obsesses over stuff. And so, I, so he's like, oh, you know, I don't know. You know, I think this thing's not get It's not done yet, but you know, it's out there that it's done. This is when Trey Wingo, I think had tweeted about it. And I said, why don't we stop calling the Jets and the agent and people close to Aaron and why don't we just call Aaron? Adam looked at me. He's like, what do you mean just call Aaron? I said, pick up your phone and call him. He's like, you know what? You know what, me? You're right. You're right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. It was like commercial break. And I think the adrenaline of the day for agency just fueled and gave him the... It was almost like he had a few cocktails in him. That's what it was like. And you know, he had that like uh the buzz bravery and so he calls and then I was like all right I'm gonna call now so then I called and and, you know nothing and then I'm talking about some topic and I see Adam and he's like just like his mouth just drops and he's trying to show me his phone while I'm on TV by the way but I see and I look down and it was like lose my number to Adam and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's amazing. You know, and in the moment it was really freaking funny. But I was standing up for Aaron. I was like, oh, he's just being playful. He's like, oh no, he's mad. He's mad. I'm like, nah, I think he's just having fun with it. Um, and then obviously we saw later when when Aaron went on Pat McAfee to talk about it. Um, you know, and he couldn't remember my name, which, you know, that happens. My name's weird.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's I still struggle with it. Um, so I guess that means.
1: But I'd like to talk about Aaron in New York. If you want to go there a little, because I've been around them since. So okay, so let's cool.
0: yeah, let's go. Like, what are we like? Do you think they're winning the division?
1: I do. I do actually, and and the defense that you pointed out is actually the reason. I don't think it's because uh, Aaron Rodgers is is going to completely change every single weakness of this team. But you know, because I I'm I continue to have major issues with their offensive line. I don't know what the answer is going to be. I don't know how they're going to figure this out. Uh, Obviously, we know it's going to be competitive, but with injuries and um, just Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career and at his age, needing needing protection is going to be prevalent. And I'm not sure if the Jets really have that. Now, that being said. Let's just talk about what I've seen and what I've heard and the conversations I've had in New York for the past three months. Ryan, this guy was not in the building for more than 10 minutes before I had guys in the building telling me, like, everything is different. Everything. Which at first made me go, well, how bad was it Like that these guys needed that much of a change? And... I realized being respectful of the regime that's there, being respectful of Douglas and Salah and all his guys, uh, they were trying something there. They were they've been trying to build on something, Um, but they were missing a piece. And that piece is that veteran voice and that veteran guy that you hear all these teams and coaches talk about when you have them. It's game changing for your team, your organization. And now they have them. So you now have an Aaron Rodgers in meetings, calling guys out, calling coaches out. You have him on the field. I'm watching him explain things to receivers, explain how he likes certain protections with the O-line. They started preparing, by the way, the offensive line room, from from what I was told, already started you know, they had all the clips of Aaron's favorite type of protections that he was looking for. This is before anything was even close to getting done. So the Jets had been all in the entire time, which if you recall, there's a lot of reporting about optimism. The Jets feel really good about this because it wasn't them just sharing that with me. They were operating that way. They were operating like Aaron Rodgers was coming to New York. So the work has been, has been had, they've been putting it in since the start of when they first found out that this could be a real thing. And then obviously it is what it is now. So, um, the question is, so what is this offense, right? I just had this conversation with someone in New York, because because I'm I am curious, like what does this look like? And his response was great. He's like, it's the greatest hits album. Like, like it's not that complicated. It's what Aaron wants to do. It's everything that he's comfortable with. We are going to tailor and make sure everything uh, fits with, with with that. So. Stuff that we saw in Green Bay work, they, where he had success, and obviously with the addition of some of these running backs that I think are going to be better in New York than they were in Green Bay, um, that's where I think he can have success. And there's, I, mean, I don't want to say give him credit because you'd be stupid not to allow Aaron Rodgers to do what he wants and what he's comfortable with. But we've seen this league, there's some dummies out there. So uh, I think they're doing a good job of allowing him to lead the way.
0: Let's talk uh, a lot of Northeast here. Hits early on. We didn't do this by design, despite our upbringing. But the Saquon Barkley part of this—I uh, spent a good deal in the open talking about the running back position. Not being surprised, not being surprised by his disappointment. But I just don't know if that deal's out there anymore for running back the way they were. Rarely, but and, you know the Ezekiel one's the one you point to, and I just don't know if that exists anymore.
1: I here, here's my my thought on it. When I when I was scrolling through Twitter on the beach yesterday, just getting the reaction after we put out all the Saquon stuff and the Josh Jacobs. And, and, and look, I I see the running backs all coming together, sharing their thoughts and opinions. Why is everyone acting surprised? This has been, this is something that has been happening for, for 10 years. This isn't that shocking. I think the Dallas Cowboys have obviously been the most recent example of giving a long-term deal, giving a, a lot of money to Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard comes in. He's, proves he's more efficient. He's able to get the deal. Uh, and now you see him playing on the tag and uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys will then now go out and find another young productive back. I mean, this is one thing I've learned covering this league now all, all these years, teams are constantly looking for younger and cheaper. We know this, we see it where there's proof of that. You know, um, we saw it with the chargers. Um, it, you, you're, it's, it's everywhere. They're, no one, no one's look, everyone's looking to get the most that they possibly can at the running backs in those early years. And then, and then they're moving on and And it's unfair, but I, I do think it's just the reality of the position. Then there's so many of them coming out of college. You know that, like that, that that's another thing. There's a plethora of, uh, of players at that position at this point, which I, I have two boys. They're not playing running back.
0: No, no, they look like receivers. No. What, uh, I mean, what, uh, what do you think ends up happening here though? Like, is Barkley going to try to go Le'Veon Bell on this?
1: Good question. So, um, during the negotiations, I was speaking to his side, which there there were a lot of voices that were involved on his side uh, because he was getting advised um, from another agency. While I think eventually hiring them during this process, um, so. I know I feel pretty comfortable at this point saying that it is definitely on the table for him to sit out against Dallas. Do I think he's made the decision fully yet? No. Now the New York giants, they see it differently. The New York giants believe that Saquon is going to show up for a player. That's looking to get money. Is he, why why would he sacrifice $600,000 a week if he doesn't show up That, that that makes no sense if you're trying to make money. Um, and we've seen what happened. Le'Veon Bell just came out and said he made the mistake of of doing what he did, which was leaving the Steelers and going to New York. Um, so I, I think I've been around Saquon a lot. He is such a competitor, and he cares, and he, he and he cares about his image. And 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 by the way, that's not a knock. I think it's 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 a compliment to him because it's it's about. He encompasses it all. It's not just about what he can do on the field. He wants to be the face of the franchise. Um, and it's important to him. So I do think in the end, I, I, I think he shows up. But I think between now and then, it's go, it's going to sway.
0: Uh, anything to add on Dalvin Cook?
1: That I, I, A team that's looking to sign him is getting a guy that's going to join the roster and immediately come probably top five, top seven best player on the roster at, at this point, right? I think when you look at the running back market, there's not a lot of the players there that are available now that have, are, that have talent of this caliber. Um, I was debating on television a few days ago about what, what's the biggest story, Dalvin Cook or DeAndre Hopkins? And in my opinion, I thought the team that was getting Dalvin Cook is the team that immediately gets better. Immediately, everyone gets better. Everyone improves, and the, com- the the offense completely, and all and all facets of it. Um, you know where he winds up. I I do think we're going to know soon. I think the next week or so. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll see from a money standpoint. But you you know he's got Miami Ma- Miami on his mind, so we'll, we'll see if that works out.
0: Okay, but when we finish up here, and, and we can kind of take it in a bunch of different directions here, but. <laughs> When I look at the depth charts and and I'll kind of go like, all right, let's let's separate the quarterbacks into tiers and and it's more not so much on who they are as a player, but like who looks like they're going to be replacing <laughs> their starter, and you know how short the leash is for some of the players that are are at least penciled in at number one of the depth chart of that position. Is there? It doesn't feel like it's a long list. Um Some years. Some years it's longer than others. Going into this year, it doesn't seem super long. It also depends on how many recent guys went in the, like, the top 10 at the position. But are there a couple names that jump out to you, Diane, as far as like, okay, this is like this is it. This is like make or break. Like probably will never be another opportunity for this player to be a starter again if it doesn't happen this year.
1: I think this is unfair, but this is the reality. To me, my biggest concern, my, my number one quarterback that has, like, let's just call it the pressure cooker on him. It, is Jordan Love, which I think is actually – it's a little unfair because it's only going to be his first year. But I don't think Green Bay is going to have a lot of patience. They obviously gave him a contract that's very team-friendly. I think this is it. I think it's like, hey, we have an idea what you are. We're giving you this – we're going to give you this chance. So go out there and and let's see what you can do. So he he for me sits at, at at number one on top of a list of quarterbacks that need to perform this year. Otherwise, I'm not too sure if they're ever gonna be starters again.
0: I'm always kind of fascinated by like Davis Mills because it's like, hey, you know who's pretty good? It's that guy. And you're like, <laughs> okay, but that's only because your expectations were zero. If he were a first round draft pick, you'd be like, they need to make a change. Because when you put it all together, and granted, not a very good roster in Houston. And I get all this stuff, but um it's it's just not. Like he's, we already know when you spend a draft pick like they do on CJ, it's over for him. But he got talked about as somebody that was like a real solution only because he was so far over the expectations based on where, had, like the lack of hype for him coming in and having the starting job.
1: The CJ Stroud, we'll call it hype before the draft, in my opinion, was less than it is now. Like it's almost like he got drafted, and he's he's on a team and he's playing, and I'm hearing more about him, uh, in terms of his ability, uh, his understanding. I spoke to someone there who was like, I, I you think you would think he'd been playing for two two seasons already. Which, you know, you always hear these little whispers at camps, um at OTAs. These guys aren't really in full speed yet. I get it. But the person I was talking to is is was was pointing to it just the comprehension of what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to do there. Some guys just pick it up real quick. Some guys take a little time. Some guys have a different type of learning. And he he just completely speaks the the lingo and the language. Um, from from it seems like from week one he was already very comfortable. Um, you know, and I draft night I was with the Titans actually, and I had heard all week long that they were trading up to get him, that CJ Stroud was going to be the guy. Um. And I, rem- you know, no one ever, no one ever gave that to me on the record and confirmed it with me. But I did talk to some people in Tennessee about Stroud after that, uh, after the draft of like, you know, if he was going to be your guy, why'd you guys like him so much? And th- I think there was a lot of his athleticism they were pointing to, his accuracies aren't, you know, all, all the great things that you've heard already about him. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think he's going to be a, a quarterback that may need, may need a beat or two. But, um, I'm looking forward to him taking over there in Houston and seeing if he can do something like what we saw Deshaun Watson be able to do in, you know, in terms of a player. So yeah, Davis Mills, I think the idea was nice. I think he was he he had some moments, but um yeah, I think this is CJ Stroud's job.
0: Any other names to add to it?
1: You know, I I'm gonna throw Tua in there. And I know that's probably a controversial one. And Dolphins fans are brutal right now. So sorry, guys. Look, Miami I think, fans are pretty
0: chill generally, though. But yeah,
1: really, that's been your—they're very mean to me. I'm—I t- I'm, I'm don't really want to go down a Twitter hole of like
0: stay Thanks. away right? keep going yeah, keep going yeah, no yeah, i that. look i think it's it's funny though because like i say you were building this segment out and it's fine you can go ahead and do it you can do it on tv as you getting ready for week one and all that kind of stuff but I, I i like the hey who's on that list what's incredible about this list is that there's this there's a bunch of names on it for completely different reasons yeah. like jordan love being like a make or break situation when he hasn't played other than one start for three years like that doesn't seem fair you'd be right uh davis mills who comes in you know, his first year statistically he was better. Last year it just wasn't as good. But when you spend the pick the way they spent the pick, like we already seen that story before. Yep. Baker, you know, at this point it, it has to be. Look, a bunch always of other gonna, things There's going. always
1: going to be a market for Baker, though, in my opinion. Like, I like. No, do I, I think, think this
0: is it. I think like, this is it.
1: No, no, I'm sorry. As a starter, correct. Baker's going to have a job though. Like he, he, he's he's not going to be acting. He should, but he's not going to be doing movies in a year. Like I think Baker Mayfield will continue to play football and be a backup and be great. You know, we we mentioned Mac Jones, right? You know, I
0: just don't know if you can make a ninety-minute State Farm movie.
1: See, I think he just hasn't been given the avenue. No one's been like, hey, let's yeah, like let's try you on. You know, whatever. I don't even I don't watch. Well, look, I
0: just remember when Dwight Howard was gonna move to LA so he could be in movies. You're like, what are you gonna play? <laughs> what 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 character are you gonna play? So but if we go back to like the Tua thing is its own reason. But clearly we're all gonna be watching Tua with this this kind of nervous anxiety. It's which is different. You're right, different from the Jordan Love part of it. I mean, we can even throw Mac Jones in there, even though I feel like we probably did too much Pats than, than I wanted to, but I like the Tua one because it's it's the reality of wait. Like, is this going to be good? And the crazy thing is, is that roster is so good that I don't think he needs to be in the MVP conversation. Like, it seemed like at one point he might have been earlier in the year before he got hurt. But there's, there's completely different reasons, I guess, as I'm restating it for the but, same But you, you
1: point out a great roster, right? So that's kind of my reasoning as to, like, you're right. Like, the reasoning of, is this it for him, is really because of his health, right? Which is always hard to get into because we, we don't know what, what we don't know how this is going to work. And, you know, I think we all can agree. It's probably the one thing in football we all can agree on is like, we, nobody wants to see him get hurt. Like I, I I'm hoping the jiu-jitsu and the training and the doctor and all the things that he's been doing to try to avoid this. Um, and, and even, you know, just, I, I think talking to people in Miami, even during OTAs, just to overall, I think is important. His vibe, his confidence in himself, uh, his leadership, his growth, because he's still growing at the position, as good as he's been, obviously, um, you know, just really getting control over that offense. Uh, th- those are some of the things that that the that, that players were sharing with me, which that that's a good thing going into a new year.
0: Enjoy the rest of the summer. Looks like you got what, like four days.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, I got about four days, and then and that's it, and then. I look forward to Memorial Day weekend. It's like the next time I like come up for air.
0: Uh, Always enjoy your visits. Thanks, Diane.
1: No shower. Happy hour. Let's go.
0: This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking. And they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Sintas.com and get ready for the workday. I'm excited about this guest. Uh, we have talked about doing this, I don't know, for a couple of years. It's my fault. Uh, but he's a busy guy, tennis pro, uh, I will ask him about the golf pros thing, but it's Marty Fish who's been in the news and I'm just, I'm happy to finally get to do this face to face, man. How are you?
2: Likewise, dude. It's been, uh, I know you moved to the LA area. Um, I guess we'll call it Manhattan beach area. Everybody knows, (laughs) um, uh, what years, five, six years ago, probably at this point. And, and yeah, we still haven't connected (laughs) <laughs> so, but it's, you can't you can't take all the credit uh for the blame um i will take some of it but uh it's good to be on dude it really is
0: yeah it's been it's been five years i kind of joked that i feel like i moved here twice and when i moved here the the first because of covid it felt like it was like this reset and i was like oh that's right i live in los angeles because you know we didn't do anything because we had like extra time with it out in la and i've been here five years and In the beginning, I was like, yeah, I'll come meet you there. And yeah, I'll go do that. Mm -hmm. And no problem. Like, let's go meet and do that because I want to learn about the area. And then once you start settling in and I realized like nobody comes and visits me. And I was like, oh, that's just what it is. So there's no more perfect Los Angeles story than us keeping in contact and never once seeing each other because it's just what happens out here unless you live literally next door to the person that you're talking to
2: yeah you gotta live in the little pocket like if you were in brentwood or like bel air or westwood i'd see you all the time and if but if you're in if you were in venice or even santa monica i probably would never see you and it's only two miles away (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's just too far. And a little other tidbit that I'll share with the audience. And this is just how bad I am at the personal relationship stuff at times where Marty and I first got connected. Uh, I know you were in the academy with Prim Seripipat. So Prim, who's my neighbor, was like, oh, yeah, Marty's my guy or whatever. And and then I started coming out to L.A. before I'd moved here for work. That was going on for years. Like, McShay and I would just stay in Manhattan Beach. And then you hit me up and you were like, hey, you can stay with me if you want. And I was like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, he's inviting me to stay at his house. And I was like, well, do you have a family? And he's like, yeah. I go, yeah, I don't think you're going to want me staying with you <laughs> at your house. And then I was like, I kind of have my routine in the beach anyway. And you were like, all right, fine, no problem. And it, it, if you don't know me, it could be like so off-putting. Be Like, I've just invited this guy to my home. And it's probably a pretty sick setup. And I was like, nah, I'm cool with the hotel. Don't worry about it. And then I was like, looking back, I'm like, you know, you probably could have just done a better job at that with him and other people in general. So that's that's another flaw I have.
2: Oh, good. I have, uh, I got one of those rooms with like five TVs and stuff. We could, been watch. Well, could, we, we could have just been watching sports all day, but um, whatever.
0: Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it going when the Timberwolves get dialed in again here. We'll figure <laughs> it out. We'll get you down <laughs> to the beach. <laughs> okay, so I, I have to ask, okay, because we know that the golf part, um, you know, everybody knows the tennis part, but the people paying attention to your golf run is, is really incredible. Uh, the Tahoe experience seems like the ultimate and you're kind of the favorite and you're on 18, you're going up against Steph Curry. You've got the lead going into the last hole. Uh, the scoring is a little different. Um, and somebody yells in your backswing and take us, take us through that moment in the tee box.
2: Well, um, yeah, American century is uh the american century championships is one of the uh one of the best weeks of the year obviously you know if you love golf which i do um i've played my whole life Uh, never taken a lesson or anything like that i just i've played my entire life so um i kind of know uh i've played junior events junior tournaments stuff like that but um once i once i you mentioned saddlebrook academy and um you know once i went there at like 15 years old i sort of had to stop playing a lot of A lot of at least like high level golf you know junior golf stuff like that um to stop doing that but but yeah i just i've i've grown up playing my whole life so if you love it um and you get invited one time i begged to get invited in 2014 um that was nine years ago so i've played it nine years in a row gotten the invite kissed everyone's ass as much as i could to get that to get the invite back um those people who make those decisions are now some of my closest friends and close friends. Um, Jonathan Thomas, who runs American Century, is a phenomenal dude. And, um, and his wife, and they're just, they're good, they're good people. So they come out all the time and he comes out to LA and everything. So it's, it's, it's sort of turned into like kind of a family type tournament. Um, and, and so, you know, it's the one that you look forward to the week, you look forward to for a lot of reasons, not just the golf, right? Like. I've been able to make and create some really, really cool friendships um with guys that I would never cross paths with and never would have, right? Like you mentioned Steph Curry and he how he won the tournament a couple of days ago. And um and I, I never would have crossed paths with Steph. I mean, I you know, he maybe maybe in the golf world at some stage, but certainly not because I played tennis and he played basketball, you know, like I just never would have never would have met him, got to play with him 2015 or 16 one round and um, and it's kind of how it is out there. Everybody's really, um, everybody's really humble for the most part. There's probably, if there's 90 guys, it's probably, or 90 players, there's probably 88 of them that are really, really nice and approachable and all that. And then probably two that, um, that I won't name that, uh, uh, that aren't, you know? And so it's a really humbling, really cool event, right. To be a part of a lot of players want to, a lot of athletes, uh, Uh, present and um, retired want to be a part of it. Right. So it's a, it's a true like honor to get invited. Okay. So, so that being said, I won the tournament in 2020 and shot a 63 on the Saturday and, um, and played, you know, played really well that, that tournament hadn't really put it together um, uh, quite enough to, to um, you know, to, to be, to be in contention uh on Sunday out in the afternoon on the back nine kind of thing. I'd always kind of finished in the top five, but never really put myself in that true position to to kind of win it again or whatever. So um so we get, yeah, we get uh we get to the 18th hole and I'm up three points. And you mentioned this the scoring systems a little funky with um the Stableford system and Steph had had made three you get you get a point for a par. You get zero points for a bogey. You get minus two for a double bogey. So you don't want to go backwards. Um, and then you get three for a birdie six for an Eagle eight for a hole in one. And I mentioned eight for a hole in one because Steph got a hole in one <laughs> on Saturday. Um, and so he had three, e- during the, the three rounds, he had three Eagles in a hole in one. And if you add all those points up on four holes, it's 26 points. It's like, just to give you a, a quick example, I got 18 points on 18 holes on the first day. I played really well for me. The second day, I shot 67, had six birdies and a bogey, really clean round. I got 28 points for that. That was 18 holes. He had 26 points for four holes, you know, so he's got 50 more holes to go to, to gain as many points as I can. So I felt like I did a pretty good job just to keep up with him. Um, cause it was really just the two of us in the end there. Um, so we get to 18 and um, and there's a guy, I'm just about to pull the club back. And this is before that somebody, you know, this guy yelled and kind of in my backswing and he and he yells out, and I know we can cuss on this, but I won't say it to the exact, uh, the, exactly what he said, but hey, Fish, F you, you suck. Like when no one is talking, you know, and it's like one of those things where it's like, and there's thousands of people there. And like, I'm just about to, t- and I back off and Steph to his credit and like his team, he's got an awesome, he's an awesome dude. And he's got, and the people around him are also really great guys. Um, His father was out there because his brother, Seth and Dell were there. Um, All of their kind of team that they have, Chris Stone, who you may know in basketball worlds and um, and, and his, his bodyguard, Yusuf, who's an awesome dude. Um, and, and a great, you know, just, a, he's always with staff and everything. And he like, so, so this guy says this, like, Hey fish, F you, you suck, you know, right. You know, like right next to my wife and kids and like just out of nowhere, it's just weird. Right. And especially
0: for be- golf, like for, I know yeah. it's not like, you know, you're not at the open here, but it's I've still a golf crowd.
2: Totally. I've had people say, stuff like that when I'm playing tennis and I'm just in the, kind of the arena and I don't really, you know, whatever, I'll deal with that another time or just let it go. It's just that, that stuff doesn't really bother me that much. Uh, just about the say club back the guy says it and Steph's like, Whoa, dude, like what, what are you doing? You know, kind of thing. And my buddy who's caddying for me, who's like you, loves a, a gold's jam down in, uh, down in Venice, um, type guy. Um, uh was pretty pissed right so he's what he's got his eyeballs on this guy um and probably going to say something after I hit so I I reset I go back and I'm like okay let's just I just need a ball in the fairway I'm up three points I need Steph needs to eagle uh for me just just to have any chance of of beating me as long as I uh if he doesn't eagle as long as I don't make a bogey I win um and, and Brandon, we're on a par five. So it's the shortage par five. So it was, you know, I was going to make par most likely. Um, so I take the club back and, and right at the top of my backswing, And it wasn't like in the downswing, it was right at the top. He sort of yells. I don't know what he yelled, some sort of bird sound or something. It was really, he got me good. He really did. Like he got me to where it was like that perfect time. And, you know, golf is like in in almost any other sport tennis included and you have to be quiet in tennis as well it's it's not as technical golf is so technical right like everything has to be on point and on plane if you're you know trying to if you're swinging i swing at 120 118 to 122 mile an hour club speed on my driver so like it's pretty high and so if you're off by a little bit you know, things could go things could go bad. And there's lots of people out there as well. And like I don't want to hit anyone. And like I'm not a professional golfer. So like that's also in the back of my mind too. And so I take this club back. He gets me. Um right in the back. swing. quite frankly, I was happy to to get it airborne, um, and like forward, to be honest, because it really um like kind of you know, it was like just the perfect time again. And and so anyway, so I didn't I didn't really So he did that. My buddy goes after him. Yusuf, Steph's guy, goes after him. Steph, Dell is on the other side of the like, it was actually kind of cool to see like the camaraderie of like everyone's like, that's not cool, man. Like, we don't want to win like that. We don't want to play like that. And you could tell that Steph, like it actually bothered him um, to where when we got down to uh down to the green and he had gotten on to on into and had an eagle putt i walked by him and i said dude make the putt like just make it, you know i hope you make it like just make it because i i felt i felt like he maybe, because he again he is such a good dude that i thought maybe he felt really bad that like that happened and um i know that he did but that being said i was able to then Hit my, you know, I was uh, behind a tree and like I had to kind of go under and hit like to get to the layup to then get it on the green. And that was fine. And I did that. It was as if I had just missed the green or missed the drive into the trees and had to lay up and normal par five. And so I told him that like on the green, I was like, dude, make the putt, you know, like, I hope you make it kind of thing, uh, hoping that he didn't make it. But like, <laughs> I hope you make like, you know. Like that's uh like don't worry about it kind of kind of thing in, in a way. So um so yeah, man, it was just weird. It was just kind of weird because it was it was God, he got me at a perfect time, you know, that that I just didn't know was coming, especially after the FU you fish you suck, right before that. And I have it on video and I can send it to you. It's pretty clear um that he says it. Um, and, uh, anyways, they, they got in his face and stuff like that. I don't know what they did, but again, the damage was kind of done at that point. And I, I couldn't go for the green and two. So I couldn't, I had to kind of, uh, you know, I could have made Eagle as well, or I could have made birdie as well. But like, you know, par was something that I was okay with in that situation because I knew that he had to make Eagle, which is hard to do, um, to, to, to beat me. And he did.
0: Okay, so real quick, it was the same guy that said the two things. Same guy, yeah, same guy. So did they? Was there any part of this that we don't know yet? Like when they found him, what happened? What he said?
2: I don't know. Well, he said he bet on Steph to win, and so he wanted him to win. Oh my god! So it was like you know, and you, and you start thinking about it, and you're like, you're su- surprised that stuff doesn't happen more often with all the betting nowadays in sport, right? Like you can actually have a pretty solid impact on especially in like golf or tennis or you know those sort of quiet sports or or you know sports we have to have to you know be quiet what during play stuff like that um uh i don't don't know how you would do it in other sports but like certainly in golf right like you could really you know pay some heckler or something like happy gilmore and go out there and and i'll I'll shoot her i'll see you at the red lobster after kind of thing (laughs) And, and you can you know like you could If you're surprised, it doesn't happen more often, to be honest. The guy probably had a lot of money on Steph, and he wanted him to win.
0: Wow. Um, Okay, so this is, is, I don't want to spend more time necessarily on that event of it, but you know, as I was paying attention to your career after tennis, it was like, hey, Marty keeps winning all of these tournaments. I've heard about the legend at Bel Air and winning the member championship, because I think I don't know if I have this right. Cause I was like, how long have you been a member there? Or no, I said, how many championships have you won? And you were like five. And I was like, well, oh, how many years have you been a member there? And you were like five. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, it, well, no,
2: now it's been longer. I haven't played it in, in a while, but there were, there was a time there where, um, you can't play it if you've been a, if you haven't been a member for 12 months. So the first year that I was a member, I wasn't allowed to play it. Um, and then I won it like, I think it was four times, um, in a row and then i I haven't played it in a little while but um yeah so i've won that one a few times
0: okay all right so i think this is perfect because here you are at the top of your game in tennis and you know what that takes and you know you know the tennis i don't know how the tennis world works but like it was funny because i was talking to sharif abdul rahim and you know he's president of the g league and i was like i don't care who you are any level of playing pickup basketball if there was somebody who's pretty good you'd be like, hey, you know, you're pretty good. You get any looks, and then he's always got a million reasons why he's not in the pros. It's never, hey, I'm not good enough. It's it's all of these things happen to me. I imagine tennis has the same stuff, but golf is like another level of like the guy that you play with who's really good, and I think it has to be like the higher-end clubs, and you're like, oh, hey, this guy scores really well. Granted, you're playing the same course the whole time. It becomes easier and all that kind of stuff. So I guess what I'm doing here is I'm asking like, what is the separation like for somebody like you who's this good And yet the pros who, you know, it's always a joke. Like you have no idea how big that gap is. What is that gap like for your game and your perspective, knowing what it was like to be a pro athlete in a different sport?
2: Yeah, it's it's um, it's big, um, first of all, Uh, uh, if if I had played golf instead of tennis, maybe maybe we're talking about something a little different. I I excelled in both of them when I was younger as a junior, Um, but my dad is a huge tennis fan and taught tennis his entire has has taught tennis his entire adult life he has got a great job at a club down in vero beach florida called the uh, windsor club and uh he's been there for over 30 years so he was going to the us open as a fan before i was born at the, the tennis us open so he had pushed me towards tennis um uh you know kind of 12, 13, 14, 15 years old to then see, you know, how good I could get. Obviously it it worked out fine, but, um, there's always a little bit of me that, that sort of feels like if I would have gone down the golf route, maybe I would have been able to figure that out. Who knows? Um, that being said, uh, I I'll give you an example. I got a sponsor's exemption last year in the three M open in Minneapolis or in Blaine, Minnesota, which is just outside Minneapolis before I was, um, uh, just after Tahoe last year for the first time and to be the first, you know, guy to play an ATP tour and PGA tour event was a was a cool experience, obviously. And, um, you know, I practiced really hard for that. And, you know, I, I got the exemption maybe two months out. And so I you know started grinding for two months. Um, I finished like, you know, I think there were 100 and let's just say 150 players and I probably finished 145th. You know, like there were a couple withdrawals, which I count um as me beating them. And then uh and then um there were maybe I don't know, three or four guys that like are pros that you know that that I beat. But again, that's just one time um one week of 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 one, you know, kind of calendar year for those guys that that play. So um they're way better. Um I'm a plus three handicap. They're plus six, seven, eight, nine handicaps. Like they're not like they would have to, I would have to get three shots aside if we were playing like for our lives. Um, so, so they're way better. Sometimes I feel like they get a little triggered too. When fans will kind of say like Steph Curry, he made a hole in one and a bunch of Eagles. He could probably play on the PGA tour. And these, you know, the pros are like, no, not even clean. They get pretty aggressive with it. It's like, guys, we realize you guys are way better than us. Um, way better. And so we love golf. Like we want to be as good as you, but there is no way in, in our worlds that we think that we're even remotely close to as good as a, a professional golfer. That being said, you can play a good round here or there. I've gone out and played lots of rounds of golf, just individual rounds of golf with some guys, you know, a bunch of guys that play on tour. And it's not like I either get crushed or even lose to them every time. There's times um and that's why golf is is so unique in that way too, where it's not always the best player wins every tournament in tennis, like the best player wins a lot. Um, it's hard to beat somebody that's better than you in tennis in golf. It's like in every, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of, obviously a ton of skill and, um, and all that, but where you leave yourself on the greens and what bounce you got off the fringe and off the tree or whatever and in the water and. Um, so there's a lot of variables as well in golf that are different than any other sport, um, that what can kind of make it interesting for a day. But if we play two days or five days or 10 days in a row, um, those guys are, they're so good. Even the, uh, the LPGA players, they're, they're so much better than us as well. I mean, they're so, so good.
0: So let me ask it in the context of like game. And, and I can only use like the one frame of reference of like the two years where I was playing all the time. I was never that good. Um, but you know, as a bogey golfer was probably the best I was. And I played with somebody who shot like an 80 generally, you know, like a plus plus eight or whatever. I'd go, okay, wait, every time they screw up, they're always like saving themselves. Like they're always putting themselves back in a position. And like, you know, again, I'm not a super golf guy, but I was playing enough at that time that I'd go, hey, when you screw up, it's always a stroke disaster trying to figure out how to get back in the play. All right. Then the 80, the guy shooting 80 versus the scratch guy, I think that would be, Okay, I'm I'm giving myself a chance, but the guy who's a scratch golfer, every single shot to the green is like thinking about birdie. Is thinking about a birdie putt. So he's giving himself multiple birdie opportunities. He may not get them every single time, but that's evening out of scorecard at the end of the day. What I'm trying to understand is somebody like you who's probably a scratch golfer. And I understand that there's a gap. Where is that? in your game to somebody who's a pro. What what is that thing that you see that they consistently do to lead to why their scores are just always going to be better than yours?
2: Those guys never make two mistakes in a row. It's very very rare. Every golfer on the planet, Tiger Woods on down, makes mistakes. They they know where to miss certain shots. They know where their miss is on on every shot as well. Um and that means I mean I mean that by um You know, I'm a lefty, so I play a cut a a right to left type ball flight. And I know that with a six iron through wedge, I can't actually miss it to the right. Like my miss is always to the left. And so I will compensate for that and make sure that if I do miss this shot and miss it, meaning like just flush it, hit it perfect, you know, right exactly where you where you're aiming, which is, you know, pretty rare um that i know that it's either gonna that's probably gonna go in this specific spot and if i hit it well it's gonna go you know where i want it to go um those guys never make two mistakes in a row so they do clean up uh they clean up their game uh they clean up the the, their bad shots incredibly well also the like what we're watching on tv they're only showing good shots (laughs) so like you know for the most part at least in the first couple rounds right so like there are a lot of, they're human, right? So like they do make a lot of mistakes as well. And they do make bogeys. They very rarely make double bogeys. They very rarely compound their mistakes. And then the one thing, honestly, that that blows my mind with those guys and how good they are is, is how good they are with their long irons. Like three iron, four iron, five iron, six iron type shots. They're hard to hit, especially off like a tight fairway where there's not a ton of grass there. Um, out of the thick rough where there's, you know, where it's impossible to sort of advance it, they figure out ways to do it. They hit their four irons as, as straight and on, on uh, accuracy wise, as I do my nine iron and wedge. And that, that, that to me is what truly separates uh, apart from being a, a little bit better in driving the ball, a little bit better in chipping, a lot better than me in putting. Their, their accuracy with the 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 courses nowadays that they have um and the, the length of them they're so long so they have so many driver four or five six irons into greens and they're that they're birdying they're so deadly with those with those uh shots so that that's truly what i'm i'm happy to get it around the green with a four or five iron they're they're going in pins um, with those with those clubs. And that's what I'm doing with wedges. And they're doing it with like five iron. So it's it's ab- absolutely incredible.
0: I want to transition to Wimbledon this weekend. I watched uh, Alcaraz beat Djokovic. Um, it's been really cool kind of seeing people go back and talk about Carlos and like, you know, guys that used to hit with him being like, oh my God, uh, I don't know the sport well. I'm a casual. But to see him feel like at least for an afternoon that there wasn't really much... <laughs> There wasn't many holes in his game, whether it was the big serve, whether it was whatever return with changing up, faking out Djokovic a few times and then covering every square inch of that core. People, I I think it's cool for tennis because there's a lot of people that don't normally pay attention and be like, wait, did we just see something that's that special? What did it look like to you? He is that special. Um, He is a, if we wondered what Nadal would
2: look like as a righty, um, we're seeing it. If we wondered what, Rafa would look like a little bit faster with maybe a little bit uh, with the ability to flatten out his forehand and like totally end points when he wants to Um, uh, Alcaraz like Djokovic is the best mover on the tennis court that we've ever seen. Alcaraz may be better. He may be faster. Um, uh, He's definitely faster. He may be a better mover than Novak Novak. Novak. When you played him, he shrunk the court so much that you made he made you go for shots that you thought you had to because he's covering everything and you can't you can't last with him out there for hours and hours and hours playing long point after long point because a he's not going to miss very often and b um, he's going to make you uh, and bait you to go for things that you you shouldn't go for. Um, so Alcaraz definitely has that feel in you, in, in you know, in his game. And then what Djokovic doesn't do a ton of is just finish points from the baseline whenever he wants, right? Like he's very solid and steady. He doesn't hit a ton of winners um, and flatten out the ball a ton. He's just really, really solid and steady from both from both wings. With Alcaraz, he he can finish points off both sides. Um, he has a monster forehand. Uh, uh, one of the things that Nadal that did, did does incredibly well is his mental toughness and just the way he just never, ever quits. And it's funny to say that, like, of course he never quits, you know, but it's really easy to quit, to like give up a point or give up a game or something like that. Cause you're not feeling well, or you're pissed or you're tired or you're exhausted, you know, like it's really easy to do that kind of stuff. Um, Nadal never did it. Alcaraz has that too. Um, he has a really solid backhand. He can come forward. He's got touch and feel, um, uh, you know, and then, and then he has that mental toughness that you're just like, it's almost frightening um, that he just doesn't want to lose, refuses to lose, refuses to give in. Um, you know, that could be, you know, he, he, they played in the final of the French. He has a, uh issue with cramping and he's had that a few times now. And that, that is one thing that, you know, it's one thing to have all this talent and all that stuff and to have the discipline, dedication and professionalism that he has. And, um, you know, watching someone like Nadal up close, having someone like Juan Carlos Ferrero, who, if you remember 2003, you probably don't remember, but 2003 won the U.S. O- or, uh, I'm sorry, won the French Open and finished year number one in the world or was number one in the world. So he, he's he got a coach behind him that has been there, done that as well. Um, and, and it's scary to have to have all those skills and then to have those guys um as mentors that uh, that got it as well and that understood it and and were were really really um we really, really incredible on all in all facets. um the one thing that can stop him is injuries is his body is your body sort of breaking down and um and that that the cramping situation in at the French was a little eye-opening um you know where you're like oh well you know you're because you're looking at his game at at a hole and you're like what's going to stop this guy from winning 25 majors because he doesn't have Federer and Djokovic to to deal with for the most part he won't have them in the bulk of his career so like what's going to stop this guy from winning 30 you know well his body his injury injuries uh cramping issues things like that um Hopefully he doesn't have that, and and he'll continue to have success. But it, he could have very easily lost the first set six one against uh, Djokovic in, in Wimbledon, and could have gone, oh well, here's another one. You know, I'm going to lose this one now too. I'm going to lose two finals in a row. It's your your mind can just play so many tricks on you when you're out there by yourself because you got to remember as a you know one of the major sports where you leave the locker room, you're literally all by yourself trying to figure out problem solve and try to beat the person across the net. And he seems to be um, he seems to be that, that sort of chosen one uh, that's next and it's just incredible that it's a bummer that he's not from the states. Um, would it obviously help a ton in terms of uh, viewership and tennis. I know that you know in the 90s and the mid 90s we had we had five, six, seven Americans in the top ten um you know it wasn't uh it wasn't as global a sport back then as it is now um now it's incredibly european dominated sport um we do have two americans in the top 10 now but they're at the back end of the top 10 still the top 10 but as as far as winning majors they haven't they haven't done that yet, or even, you know, or made a final or something like that. Francis Tiafo and Tommy Paul have made the semis of a couple of, of a major championship, but not um, you know, hadn't played a final and hadn't, you know, still two matches away, you know. So, um, so that is that is one thing that that can stop him is is his is his body and how his body holds up. But man, he's scary and and has a ton of of weapons, has all the right uh, people behind him. All the right mentorship, all that stuff. So he'll um it'll be interesting to watch him for years to come to see how far he can go because he's at two now to win the US Open in Wimbledon. Um, and uh there's no stopping him on clay, and there's certainly no stopping him on a slow hardcore down in Australia.
0: I have two things that I want to finish with. Uh like everybody, I really enjoyed Agassiz's book, and I liked the part of anybody that's ever played any tennis that you're like, wait, I'm just talking to myself the whole time. And if you're a little competitive, and you'll be like, okay, no matter what happens, like I have to win this point. And if you lose that point, then it's like a whole nother level of pressure that you're putting on yourself. And it helped me understand tennis players a little bit better because it's like, he's right. You're All you're doing is you're just stuck with your own thoughts the whole time and you're successful and competitive enough to make it to the level of becoming a professional. But it's just never anything I really thought about and how used to all the other athletes, they they have interaction and even a golf uh even in golf, uh a golfer has a caddy at least. I, I think that part is very easily overlooked without thinking about what it'd be like to be discussing your match with yourself and yourself only for like four hours for some of these majors. Yeah.
2: You could if you had a microphone on your mind uh during during a match, it'd be pretty incredible. We need musk or someone to invest in, in invent something like that where they can where the commentary of not you outwardly you know we watch like jordan spieth and he's so hilarious uh outward to himself and and his caddy and stuff and you know what's funny too about golf is you, you actually can talk quite a bit to your competitors you know i mean you you know so much downtime um and you know you know and you you know, you're sort of playing against yourself and you're playing against the course and then you're playing, you know, and then at the end, you're trying to figure out who who you want to beat um, or who you need to beat. But for the most part, you're playing against yourself and the course. Um, And so you can have conversations with your your opponents, quote unquote, the entire time, because it's not like a true sort of non-contact gladiator-ish sport that tennis is, right? Where like you leave the locker room and you're all by yourself. So if somebody has if somebody can invent something where they could listen to our minds, um, what they're thinking, what we're thinking, um, we'd be all over the place. Um, we'd be incredibly negative to ourselves. Um, but there are some people who are, who would be unbelievably positive. And that's someone like, you know, someone like Nadal, someone like Alcaraz, someone like, um, you know, there's not me. Roger obviously was probably really um, easy on himself. I was incredibly hard on myself i would try and deflect blame and you know try and figure out ways to to not have it be on me all the time you know oh my coach told me that i should just hit to that guy's backhand and i hit it to his backhand and he didn't miss it so it's on my coach instead it's not on me you know like you can sort of in your mind kind of try and trick yourself to to have it not all on you all the time because it is and um so yeah the be pretty incredible to hear, hear some of the stuff that not outwardly, but internally we're saying to each, to ourselves.
0: So this is a good way to finish then, because for the audience that probably doesn't know this, uh, unless you're super locked into Marty Fish content, uh, you've been training in mixed martial arts specifically. I think Muay Thai is your favorite discipline. Actually, I- jujitsu is my favorite. I do train Muay Thai, but, but jujitsu
2: by far is my favorite. It's a, um, Yeah, I'll let you finish your question, but it is a hell of a skill to learn and know and the technique and discipline. I just, I'm infatuated by it.
0: Okay. All right. Because I think the reason I reached out is somebody was talking shit on Twitter and then Marty Fish comes in off the top rope. Who's like, I'll go. And I was like, wait, where's this coming from? And then I sent you a text. You're like, dude, I train with a trainer at my house. I have a ring at my house. And -hmm. then I think you had said Muay Thai. And then I didn't realize that you were just rounding out your entire arsenal of skills uh, with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. So we're kind of in another Brazilian jiu-jitsu phase now where everybody who takes like three lessons is calling other dudes. I didn't realize how real you were. So, you know, respect to you. But as, as you see the Musk-Zuck face-off here, um, I guess I'm just asking you, like, there's another layer to you. You're like, I want to start doing all this stuff. Are you doing tournaments in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well? I do. Uh, yeah. So I compete in, um, in jujitsu. I haven't competed
2: yet in like the kickboxing or Muay Thai. Um, cause that's, there's a lot of striking involved in that. And I'm not, re- I'm not sure I'm quite ready to get hit in the face that hard. Um, so is your wife, is your wife ready for you to get hit that hard? I don't. Yeah, probably. She probably <laughs> wants to do it herself. Um, but, but I'm not, yeah, like jujitsu, they, you know, it's, it's, there's no striking in it unless i mean i guess there are some versions of it but um it's you know it's non-striking grappling it's submission grappling it's uh it's it's one of those things where you know i want to learn a language or i want to get in shape or i want to go to the gym more or something like i've i've been a huge fan of mixed martial arts and specifically ufc for for years and it's one of those things where i just have wanted to start it and like I I encourage everyone that, that wants to do something like, you know, have, have wanted to, again, it it could be learning Spanish, you know, and like we're just big dumb Americans and all we do is speak English all the time. Like I've also wanted to learn a language. I've traveled my whole life and, and, you know, in other countries and all I do is speak English and man, it'd be kind of cool to, but never really gone over the hump and gone, all right, I'm going to do this. And, And I've wanted to, I've wanted to, get to a point, I'm just a, a scrawny tennis player, you know, and so I've wanted to get to a, a, a point in my life where, um, where I found something that I don't play a lot of tennis anymore, that I found something that I can train in That's I've done basketball, I've done like, you know, to try and figure out how can I stay in shape, still do something fun or whatever, man, why don't I try MMA? Why don't I try, you know, learning How to punch, you know, or whatever, and in and you know, do some boxing or whatever. So, I so I called, I got so lucky. Um, called a guy named Matt Banshee, he's he's a uh, he's got a a company out here in LA called Personal Fight Fit. Um, and I just got so lucky with him. He's such a good guy, he knows my background and like what I'm trying to accomplish. And then we've turned it into something that, yeah, I compete in jujitsu tournaments down uh, here in South Southern California. Um, I, I want to eventually do, uh, a handpicked, um, amateur fight, like a mixed martial arts fight. You close the gate and you're in an octagon and like kill or be killed. Like I want to do that one time. Now I want to handpick that and I want it to be like somebody who's like soft. Zuckerberg, someone like <laughs> Zuckerberg, right? Someone like someone that trains, but it's not like an incredible athlete would do it for charity. I I would love to fight Mark Zuckerberg in an octagon for charity, all out, like jujitsu, like the full thing. I want to do it. I've tried Wiz Khalifa. Wiz Khalifa trains uh, out here in L.A. Um, I don't think he runs his Twitter or his Instagram. Otherwise, uh, I've called him out before because he does the Muay Thai stuff. Uh, we can we can do it where it's eight-ounce gloves. We can even wear headgear if you want, like whatever. But I want to do it. I want to do that. I will do jujitsu and jujitsu competitions for the rest of my life. It is a skill that is, um, I've found uh, a passion for it that that gives me the most self-confidence in myself, not about fighting, just like a true self-confidence in. Walking into a room by yourself with your shoulders back because you know you can handle that situation, or you know you can handle any situation. Nothing in my life, and I was a good tennis player at one point, has given me the self confidence that um, mixed martial arts has. So I would highly suggest to anyone that 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 wants to learn a skill or wants to wants to find new ways to work out or exercise or whatever to to learn or or to start one skill, whether it's boxing, whether it's Muay Thai, whether it's Jiu Jitsu, whether it's Krav Maga, which is a defense self-defense sort of technique that you can learn. Um, all the above I train, but I love, I absolutely love, um, I've got a boxing coach and then, a, um, and then a, a Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu guy that, that, um, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with it. I love the, I'm obsessed with learning and getting better. Um, I'm a blue belt right now, which is one belt of, from white belt where, which is where you start. So like, I haven't, you know, I've been doing it for four years now. I think I'm pretty close to my purple belt, but um, it'll come when it comes. And it's one of those things, if you know, um, jujitsu and you know that, you know, that world that, uh, you never know when your belt's going to come, but, um, but it is fun to get it when you do it. So I'm, I'm a blue belt. Now I will continue to do that for as long as I can physically. Um, I'm absolutely in, infatuated and in love with it.
0: So, lesson out there for the listeners, if you bet on Steph Curry at Tahoe next year and it's 18 and you decide to say something to Marty Fish's backswing, look out. Yeah, that's all. It's just a warning. Well,
2: I, I could have, yeah, I I if if there weren't thousands of people there, um he would have been he would have been submitted and it would have taken me 10 seconds.
0: Let's get you back on when uh, my second favorite player in the NBA laces him up for the Timberwolves, all right? <laughs>
2: Sounds good, man. We're Timberwolves, man. We need some help. We got. We don't have any first round picks for like 25 years, but um, but we're
0: gonna win with the bigs. Yeah, and you got Ant, who's who again is my my second favorite player. Unfortunately, behind the guy that you lost to, uh, but at least you lost to Steph. You know, if you lost, we're gonna, start, lost to, we're gonna yeah. start
2: nine bigs um every game and uh, see how that goes. You're the man, Marty.
0: Thanks. Thank you, Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase, every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC, terms apply.
3: You want details? Bye.
4: I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's
5: possible.
0: Let me tell you what's required. Okay, it's Life Advice on Tuesday. Life Advice, rr at gmail.com to send them in you have been waiting on sending one in I would send it in now because we're probably going to do maybe one if not two standalones to cover up some of the August stuff so usually even with some time off from the pod uh, we do a pretty good job but try not to go dark for too long so uh, that's where life advice comes in because it's it's timeless uh we do have a follow-up we will every now and then do a follow-up uh this one uh, is from Chris Mullen 40 years old wait what six two two hundred. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it makes any sense. Doesn't Player that. comp is a very poor man's right-handed Chris Mullen. <laughs> oh, this is what it is. In the follow-up for the future father potentially naming his son after Grant Williams, I have a relatively unique insight into this. Born in 1983, my father, a huge Syracuse basketball fan, was well aware of Chris Mullen playing at St. John's. But my parents chose my name because it was meaningful to my father, his confirmation name. Obviously, the Chris Mullen had a Hall of Fame career and achieved mainstream notoriety for being on the dream team. As a child, it was cool to play NBA Jam with someone with your exact name and to be able to wear an NBA and USA basketball jersey with my name on the back. As I've gotten older, sharing the same name as a basketball legend comes up rather infrequently. And when it does, it's a nice conversation starter or an icebreaker that allows me to connect with another basketball junkie. To the initial emailer, the combination of Williams being such a common last name and the fact that your son will be born when NBA Grant Williams is already in the middle of his career, not destined for the Hall of Fame, means being named Grant Williams is not going to affect your son at all. Much in the way, I would have not had the same experience had my parents name me Ricky Green in 1983. No disrespect to the guy who is probably better than Grant Williams, just a comparison of mid-career, mid-tier NBA player with a common American last name. All right, well done on that execution. The naming decision is really only going to affect you, so you need to own that and be upfront about your reasons. So I agree completely with Saru's take, you should have the right to veto names, but if Grant is a treasured and meaningful name for your wife's family, the Mav shop does have a baby collection. Love the pod, Chris <laughs> Mullen.
4: It's good email. Is yeah, it? Yeah, his, his experience is that, like, oh, you know, my dad loved Chris Mullen. It's like this guy's, this the dad's experience would be the absolute opposite of that. So I mean, no, he, I don't he know. said wait, that at the end wait. of it.
0: Time out. I don't think his dad loved Chris Mullen if he was a huge Syracuse fan. Oh, that's right. I thought he said John,
4: St. John's. Okay, great. I got no, you. He said, no, he said the name Chris was meaningful to him, right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah. because of, yeah. Sure. Right
0: right okay so keep going just wanted to clear that part of it up
4: no you're right i mean i i I doubt he hated chris mullen right maybe there's some sort of like uh some biggie stuff there right but like chris mullen wasn't like (laughs) uh like you couldn't say the same things about why you would be out on chris mullen as why you'd be out on grant williams i guess was my point um so like the dad the dad would have a, a a different relationship with the name than just you know than this but um well, look, the reason I kind of push back a little bit, and it is
0: well-written, it makes some really good points, except for the main point is, is that Grant Williams is annoying and Chris Mullen isn't. Right. So <laughs> the, emailer, the emailer shares our Grant Williams issues, and he's like, I don't want my kid to be named after that guy, whereas you're named after Chris Mullen, my second favorite athlete of all time. And I mean, he's just a legend. He's a legend. I mean, are you talking about when he was waiting to go on with Van Pelt and I and his phone rang in the commercial break and it was Jay-Z in the ringtone? And it was cool. You know, it was co- like, it just worked. It was cool. And then some of the other stuff that he would say off the air, you're like, Jesus, there goes Chris Mullen. There goes motherfucking Chris Mullen. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was almost awkward. There was a time where there were guys shooting hoops outside and Chris Mullen was like, hey, give me the ball. And he just, without any warm-up suit, mic'd up in the back, Wind just drains it and then keeps walking in the studio. One attempt, guys quit the game. So, the major, although all these points are really good, they were fun for you and you were cool with it. And now it's kind of, you know, not as mainstream and is as, as not unique as the name Grant Williams would be. The guy emailing us in about Grant Williams is watching Grant Williams play out the rest of his career now. And he doesn't want his son to have the same name. So I, I think they're two entirely different experiences.
3: They are. No, that, that makes sense. Like It's, it's one thing. It's, it's like, you know, Michael B. Jordan's dad. Like, why would you name your son Michael Jordan? Like, that's insane. Like, your son is never going it's, it's ne- to be able to accept his own name. He has to add his middle initial, or he's always going to be compared to MJ. Like, it's just a weird look. Or like Michael Bolton from Office, office Space. Like, those names. Like, Grant Williams isn't on that level. Right, Grant no. Williams is not on well Chris Mullins level. He's not on any of those other guys I just named. So it is different. There's a good chance in like five to seven years, like no one's going to remember Grant Williams, and no one's going to associate your kid with Grant Williams, the basketball player. Except but right you. now,
5: except you, yeah, who except always you do that.
3: <laughs> and, but, and that, and that's my point is that is that if it's always going to be in your head and you're never going to be able to get over it, then that's your answer. And that's why I said you have to have a veto. But he is right. Like, I, you know, chances are when this kid's ten, no one's going to be comparing him to Grant Williams, the basketball player.
0: You know Michael J. Fox. His real name is Michael A. Fox, but they are afraid of how that was going to play out.
3: Michael A. Fox, like a sentence.
0: Yeah, I read that in highlights. I was a kid. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> great magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Goofus and Gallant, really out of its time. <clears throat> okay, let's get to uh, some emails here. This is uh, I'm writing in as one of your female listeners. Get relationship advice for me and my boyfriend, uh, who FYI is a big fan of the show and likely be listening. So yeah, this has happened. This feels like the most forward version of this where one person is expecting the other person in the relationship to hear this part of it so that we're brokering some kind of deal here. But fuck, it's almost August. I'm up for it. Yeah. Is there a chance, like, you know, Canadians will spell defense differently. Defense. Is, With a C? Defense. Yeah. Um, there's a few other words in there. Is advice spelt differently?
4: Like advise? Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced a lot of people don't know whether it's woman or women uh, in their tweets and stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe I could be off or maybe <laughs> maybe that's just like a European thing. People, but
3: uh, people struggling with uh, singular and plural apparently. Yeah, it's for tough, real. Tough.
4: I guess if you say it fast, it could be women, w- woman, and like I don't, yeah. I don't know. But I mean, I, I, always had a firm grasp on that. But uh, halfway <laughs> through
0: <laughs> your sentence, you were fucking me up so bad, I didn't even know what you were doing, and I was like, whoa. So, I, I think people are just messing that one up.
4: I think so too. But I yeah. mean, if somebody was like, Nah, dude, Ireland, it's women. Everything's women
3: in Ireland. I don't know. I could, I, I believe it. Kyle's saying he has a firm grasp. He's got a firm grasp on the women-women situation.
0: As long as you don't say female. Females, I mean, yep. I'm not the one who I'm not the one who's uh, rowing that boat. So Okay. Oh, All right. So here we go. My boyfriend and I have been planning to move in together for the past six months. It's now about two months before we were supposed to move in together. He told me he didn't want to move in together anymore. For context, we've been dating for two years, no issues. and have been traveling a lot together this summer. When I questioned what his reasoning uh, was for the sudden change of mind, he stated there were small issues in the relationship that made him reluctant. I sat down and listened as we addressed all of these small issues, which, let's be honest, were not real issues. Well, I wasn't there, but we'll take your word for it. (laughs) Uh, I waited about a month before I brought up the topic again to allow for a cooling off period. When I brought it up again about moving in together, his reasoning changed to, quote, it doesn't feel right in his gut. What are my options here? Should I continue to press for the real reason he doesn't want to move in together? Big picture, is this a red flag and should I be worried? I will need to figure out my living situation soon. See, that's not great. Any advice on how to convince him that moving in together doesn't mean that he needs to propose to me anytime soon. Could it be that you don't know how to spell advice? Hmm. Probably not. That's probably not what it is. And again, there could be some foreign thing that I'm missing out here on the entire deal. All right, uh, not a great start, though, because you're probably like, hey, dickhead, that's not why I emailed in. And you're right. Uh, it sounds like he doesn't want to move in with you, you know, and I know that sucks because you feel like you're building towards it, but I will tell you that some guys get like tremendous, tremendous cold feet. And it's not even a guy thing. It's the other person relationship where it's way easier to plan for something that's not happening until it's like actual moving day. And moving sucks to begin with, but it's another thing to move and then have your life completely altered. And for some people that love their independence, hint, uh, the idea of somebody else moving in, even when it's not about you, just the disruption of their day-to-day is horrifying. Uh, When I was very close to moving in with somebody, I would have moments at night, I was like, I'm really doing this, huh? I'm really doing this. Like all of the real normal stuff I'm about to embark. We're going to be planning it all out, planning a wedding, doing a guest list. Like I'll have a kid at 38, I guess. Like, I guess I'm, I'm really doing these things. And for whatever reason, like I didn't look forward to it as much as most people do, which I know is shitty. Probably, I guess, I don't know. Um, Whatever. The point is, is that it's totally unfair of him to have this kind of control over your direction. So you've already tried to talk to him about it. You said none of those issues were significant enough and like, welcome to things not working out in relationships, but you know, people are very rarely, uh, going to say, Hey, emphatically, like, I don't want to live with you because I just don't want to do it. I may not even have any other reasons other than that being the most important one. It's hard to say. And if he's slow, go ahead, Suri. I'm just uh, saying,
4: it's just hard to say if that's really what he's feeling. It's hard to say to anybody. Right. Like, Hey.
0: I don't want to date you anymore. I am no longer attracted and I can't stop checking out everyone else. (laughs) And I'm young. So it's been fun. No hard feelings. Right. That's what like 50% of them are about from the guy's side. Mm. Like, I'm just, I want to keep sleeping with people. Sorry. Can't do this. No hard feelings. Uh, No one does that. No one's that direct. It doesn't really work out that way. But I, f- I feel for you on this one, because if you've been planning this out for this long and there haven't been any major issues, that's what sucks. The relationship may be terrific. It may be terrific, except the anxiety that's having over him where it's like, okay, now this shit is real. And it sounds like he's tried to put this off twice, which means he just doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it. Now, you really, the important part of all of this is you asking yourself the tough questions going, what are you willing to allow to happen here? Do you care about him enough that you think you can get through this? Okay, but what about the end game of eventually actually moving uh, moving in together like you've been talking about? He's just going to go through this all over again in six months, in a year? Do you want to put yourself through that? Like this clearly seemed to be somebody that you thought you were going to marry. I'd imagine if he was telling you to move in, he was saying the same things. If he's not really feeling that, then you're just wasting somebody else's time. That's actually far more evil than being direct and kind of harsh because you have this other person whose entire life their planning is wrapped around what you're able to deal with. And if you're not being honest, so again, to the emailer, I feel really bad for you in this spot because it sucks. You're all in, you don't have any anxiety about it. You keep bringing it up. He's bailed on the idea twice. You don't think any of these things. So yes, it's a massive red flag. If this is somebody that you thought you were going to grow old with and build a life together, right? That's a massive red flag because that's the most important part of this whole thing. Sure, you could probably stay in it. It's probably get along. All the other stuff is really cool, but it's a lot like a career. If all the hours that you're putting in aren't really going towards something bigger and better down the road, like there's a job and there's a career. And if your relationship is just a job and your goal is it for it to be a career, you're going to make sure the other person feels the same way and it doesn't sound like they do.
4: And we didn't get any age here. So I don't know if that if that factors into it. Um, uh, Sixty. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> time's ticking. No, I'm sticking. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of thoughts and I'm going to I'm going to try to keep them brief. And also, this is unique because the the other the guy who we're talking about here is also a listener. So, you know, right. if you if it was just uh, if it was just you, I, you know, I might be like, oh, this guy's a loser. Not really. Wait, but You're going to be nice uh, to a guy. No, you no, don't no, know? no, 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 no. But I appreciate uh, both of you listening. Uh I think I think' Probably the, losing the thing water. is like two years, right? Two years is I don't know, like if was this the longest relationship this guy's ever been in, like he might be in total uncharted waters, like you might be like, you might have had this like timeline in your head where it's like, all right, two years.' Uh, in. It's like now is about the time when we have to pull this trigger. If this is like, if this dude's in uncharted waters, I mean, it was kind of similar for me a couple years ago uh, with my now wife. It was just like, I don't know when that's correct. I'm a big Judge Judy guy. Half of those uh, cases are messy, non-married people trying to figure out who gets what, and this one (laughs) kicked me out, and I'm not paying her this rent. It's fucking, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. We all know somebody who's gotten a messy Judge Judy type situation uh, because you moved in with somebody that you shouldn't have. That's one And I'd say the other thing is, we did this recently on Life Advice. It is easier to kick the can down the road when we're talking ten months out. You just sign your lease, and you're like, oh, you know, it'd be nice if we could, you know, this time next year, it'd be nice if we could, you know, maybe move in together. It's much easier to say that uh, when you know you've got ten months left uh, on the lease. So uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's a, it's a big step. And like, and as in my earlier point, if this guy, if this is the longest relationship he's ever been in, and it's just like. I guess this is the thing I do. I was scared. I'd never lived with a a, a woman before. I live with like buddies. That's been fucking terrible. It's been great. It's been, it's a lot of ups and downs in that, on that road trip. So it's like, uh, it was, it was definitely a big, it was a big thing. And I did have cold feet and I, I went through with it and I ended up marrying her. That's a whole nother thing, but it's like, that when I first was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to stop this phase of like living with roommates. And, and if a relationship breaks down, I could just go home and do whatever the fuck I want to do while I figure it out. Uh, if your relationship breaks up, you, one of you guys are, are out on the street or, or living with a friend or, or the worst version of that is you guys are in the same apartment while you live different lives. And, uh, that's, that's ugly too. So it's just like, you lose a lot of as the guy who's hesitant here, you lose a lot of your options of like, if this thing goes South, like it gets way uglier before I can even get back to, you know, normal. So I, I understand all the things he's thinking about. Uh, and to what Ryan said, it's hard to just be like, to say that, like, Hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm really fucked. Like, that's not a, that's not a a conversation. Anybody's ready to have in a relationship really. So.
0: And and the other thing I'd add, and I'll get to you, Saruti, but I actually want to ask Saruti a question and then have you guys bounce this around because you're actually living with wives. But, uh, If he's playing the countdown out where, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but hmm, sniffing it out a bit, but like, is he waiting for your living situation to be so imminent? Then he's going to tell you like, Hey, now I can't, like, you don't need that. Right. Like, I really hope what he's doing is like, Oh shit. She's all right. she, She needs to figure out a new lease, you know, in the next few weeks. So I'll tell her now. Not based on my feelings, not based on her feelings, but based on her lease arrangement. And, you know, there's, there's only so much sympathy I can have for the other person where I go, look, I get it. I get the the anxiety leading up to the whole thing. But, you know, the part about being in a relationship like that is learning to be a little bit more selfless and going, wait, well, I don't want to put, how would you feel? How would you feel if your lease is up in 60 days? And somebody you've been dating for two years is like, hey, I'm still in the fence a little bit. Like, yeah. all right, well, am I getting a storage unit? Like what do you know? Like, do I do I sell my temper Pedic on Craigslist? Because we're just gonna have the like, what do we no, I'd hang on to the mattress, actually. Craigslist is a disaster anyway. I, I was like, I wait get what a lease Right. What the fuck does that mean? All right, so Rudy, uh, your level of anxiety moving in with Maddie was what it two out of a hundred?
3: It, it was it was not high. Moving in was I've I've actually had cold feet a few times during the relationship. Moving in was not one of them. Um Whoa. Well, one of them was honestly having kids. Like one of them, like she kind of had to, we had, we had a tough conversation about like, all right, like let's have like when we want to have kid, right? And I was just like, I, I talked about it on the pod, like I didn't know if I was ready. Like none of my friends really had kids and I just didn't really know. And I definitely had cold feet and I'm super happy that she basically was like, no, we should do this. Like you're, you know, I'm I'm in my mid thirties now. Like it it all made sense. I was just in my own head about it. So sometimes I think in these situations, like you kind of have to have these difficult conversations. And sometimes, I mean, she didn't give me an ultimatum. Like she wasn't like, Hey, like I'm going to divorce you if you don't have a kid with me in a year. But kids like, bust. <laughs> I do think like at some point, like, and but, but I knew I wanted, we knew we wanted kids. It was just a, a matter of when you don't really know if your boyfriend even wants to move in with you. It, I'm I'm like a little bit worried about like, yeah, like how, what's the long-term play of this relationship. So I think for your own good, you owe this to yourself. Like you need ultimatums sometimes are good. And you just say, Hey, like I'm into this relationship. If you're not in in it with me to the point where like we want to move in and take the next step, then like I have to start looking out for me and doing things for my own mental health and my own self, you know, worth or whatever you want to do. And I think that's totally fair on your part. And sometimes that just kind of knocks the guy in the head and he's like, "Okay, yeah, you're right. You know, I should do this. I should take this next step." And it might not work out, but at the end of the day, like I think moving in is a good thing for relationships. Like you should move in with someone that you like before you get married. That's a serious step that everyone I think should take because it really actually figures out whether you like the person or not. Like you can date somebody and not live with them and everything's great. And as soon as you live with them, like we've done, how many buddies have you moved in with where you're like, holy shit, like I'm friends with this guy, but I cannot be his roommate. Sometimes like that's obviously the same with, with your wife, your, you know, your future fiance or whatever. So it's an important step and two years is not that unreasonable. So I think at the end of the day, a, a good ultimatum probably is your best bet here. Like, hey, either, either, kind of like, we need a plan for moving in, or like, I'm going to start having to think about the long-term viability of this relationship. Mm,
4: I don't like it. I think you should just get a lease, and and uh, it's it's Mac Jones prove a year. I think
3: I don't know. <laughs> He's playing on the salary. He's playing on the franchise <laughs> Yeah, I think it you know uh, would be the
0: power move. A <laughs> power move is you just go sign your own lease. Don't even say yeah. anything. I mean, I know. Look, uh, finances are a part of all of these decisions, so I don't want to. Uh, minimize that part of it but just you know sucks but then again it's like oh wait i got what i wanted because i signed a lease you know, somewhere else and then didn't include him in the conversation. I don't know. People are weird, though. People can be motivated by really fucked up. things. Yeah, I, do, I think, I do think like, guys
3: are dumb. Guys are dumb and sometimes they need to push, right? They need the push. And I, I needed it several times. I'm, I'm very happy that I got the push and I'm, I'm very happy in, in my relationship because of it. But at the time, like I was in my own head freaking out about stuff. And I'm sure this guy might be, too. I'd love to like, obviously, I don't want to do like a couples therapy version of life advice, but I'd love for him to, if he wants to email in, let us know what the situation is. Maybe we can hit this <laughs> from both angles.
4: Just talk to us. Don't talk to each other. That'll be great.
3: Yeah, just talk through the pod. We'll be the we'll
4: be We're, the go between. Yeah,
3: yeah, or the mediator.
4: Yeah,
0: I yeah the men are dumb thing. It's just a little pushback on that. I was looking at sort of <laughs> the, the math <laughs> of test winners, the latest MIT thing. It's just you know, just be, just be careful about generalization. Nah. All right. Well. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do another one of these.
3: That'd be great if he emails in, right? I hope Please he does. Do, man. I'd love to know what like the little things that they talk yeah. through were. Uh,
0: maybe, maybe we would. Maybe we would. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
4: I don't I don't know. I'd be fine uh, either way, I tell you that. <laughs> I'd be fine if I never heard from this guy, and it'd be a nice surprise if I did.
0: I love that Judge Judy was almost the main reason Kyle didn't get married. It's like, look at all these hassles.
4: Well, I t- i mean, maybe it was actually the main reason I did because she's like, you people are, these are gifts. You can't ask for this back. I don't care if you borrowed it. You were in a relationship. If you were married, we wouldn't be in this boat. And she's always says, don't get married and, uh, you know, and move. Don't, don't move in if you're not planning on getting married. Cause you end up fucking around like this longer enough, you know, it, the, the waters get murky and shit can't be necessarily divided in half. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh,
0: this one is, uh, titled Sister Ordered Lingerie on my Amazon account. Okay. Uh, This guy's got to be pretty young. What's up, guys? Six foot, 185. Just benched my body weight for the first time. Big ups. Good for you, dude. I'll get right to it. My younger sister, 23. Must have forgotten that we share an Amazon account with my parents and she ordered some lingerie on it and just got delivered to her place. Picks included. Not of her, of the lingerie item. Uh, This is a purple little number here with a bow. Mid chest. Honestly, this is like a PG 13 deal here. Maybe it was on basics. It was on basics. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. I mean, it's, you wouldn't tell the person to leave if they had it on, but it's, this isn't, you know, this isn't fucking crazy here. I almost said something else, but I, I'm not going to say <laughs> nice. it. it's, just too, <laughs> it's just too aggressive. It's too aggressive. Okay. Um, She's got a boyfriend that no one in the family really likes, so it's a little weird to think of what it's being used for. So you're able to crack the code that she's going <laughs> to wear it? <laughs> How should I approach this? Should I mention it to her or just let it happen? Dude. Has this ever happened to you at all? Look, man, as... as uh, a brother that has two sisters, there's just shit I'm never gonna talk to him about ever. And I will die before it ever comes up as a topic. Just never gonna co- come up. Honestly, if like the list of things, I'd be like, no, nah, I'd rather die. That would be <laughs> on the list. Uh, you can't say anything to her. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. Like everybody's sister, man, everybody's daughter at some point, they're all gonna wanna look nice for somebody and it sucks that apparently this isn't somebody that you like, but, like, let me get... Does it mean that you're suggesting if the family did like the boyfriend, they'd be like,
3: yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Good <for> Congrats. <laughs> Congrats on the
0: future God sex. deserves this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what I just realized? I don't know if I should share this or not. Do it. I'm not gonna...
4: Now. yeah man. i'm not twice gonna. now twice now even you've said yeah, it No, yourself. no. On. the one Hold was on. a
0: line that was too aggressive this is this is an overshare um and it's not sketchy on my part at all like it's it's sketchy for other people that are involved uh but i'm, I'm just gonna leave that one alone I, I i do we even need to spend time on this your sister wants to look sexy for her boyfriend you know they probably make out dude i i don't
4: i don't think you would take the big bro angle here i think you could just be like hey <laughs> Just so you know, like, you may have forgotten, like, this is, I don't know what you would even order on Amazon. That would be a giveaway. Like, if the next thing is a pregnancy test, maybe just go to the Rite Aid. Don't do that one. On, <laughs> uh, like, I wouldn't do that. But I would just say, like, hey, just see, so I like, I don't know if you remember that our parents are on this just looking out for you. You could say that you don't have to be like, it's actually really disrespectful that you would do that on mom and dad's account that we all have to look at. But you could just be like, hey, just a little reminder, you know, we all share this. If you, if you you If it bothers you, I wouldn't bother me. Um, and I wouldn't be surfing through recently ordered things to see who's doing what. But if you just wanted to give like a friendly reminder, like you know, just for our parents, you know, uh, like 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 you're not offended, and you just shouldn't have to be like I shouldn't have to think about what you guys are doing with that. Yeah, stuff. you know what though,
0: Kyle, you brought up a good point that makes me think that the actual premise of the entire email is just hey, he wants to give his sister a heads up on the parents. He, part. Th- he so didn't write might-
4: it that way though. He didn't write it that way. Yeah,
0: but if we just want to at least open the possibility. <laughs> that there's a chance that that's what his main concern is here uh i don't think that that's a bad thing to be like hey just a heads no. up but we're still you ordered that off the shared account and whatever and and leave it at that uh if that's the only motivation for it but you're right kai like i'm just trying to you know exhaust all avenues here to try to cover
3: as much as you can because it's basically you can go to a bunch of different ways with this one um but I don't know. So are you got anything else? No. Yeah. There's just that de- there's definitely worse stuff you could order on a shared Amazon account. I mean, this isn't the end of the world. She's 23. If she was like younger, it might be more of an issue. But, you know, she's a she could make her own decisions. It's just like, yeah, you just kind of aired all that out for your entire family to see. I would definitely give her a heads up. And like maybe next time you buy something a little more aggressive. <laughs> maybe don't use the shared account maybe get your own what's amazon the worst
4: account? thing you could order on a shared amazon account like what's the what's the thing that the other people would be <laughs> like whoa like, like rope well, and zip ties or something like i is that like the that the avenue you would have to go like i don't even yeah. know what's available on amazon yeah. that would be like eyebrow raising
3: you know a, a 200 yeah
0: there's some toy categories i mean everything's sure. racing through my head but since i haven't used the line yet i'm not i'm just not going to i had one i had one teed up <laughs> damn but, it <laughs> Not gonna, you're withholding. I don't know. I don't know. Why, I don't know why. Like, there's this next level of aggressiveness
3: of content that I. I don't know. I kind of want to not reach it. But if you're trying to like police her and to, I don't know. Like wh- again, you're. What are you going to say to her? She's allowed to live her own life. Like I've stumbled. I have two younger sisters. Like I've stumbled upon. uh yeah, we're good, dude. Things. <laughs> yeah, right. We're good. Nothing even that. Not, but nothing yeah. even that bad. But like stuff yeah. that I'm like, yeah, we're not going to have a conversation about this. So that's cool. Like but I've I've appreciated you are, you are, you are. my
4: little sister. It's like the equivalent of high school. Like, hey, uh, you know, I found a bunch of beer bottles that you and your dumbass friends left when our parents left. Like, it's just sort of like a. It's the sort of like, hey, just watching your back. It's not like a, you shouldn't be drinking in the backyard. It's that's you way leave easier. Your fucking, that's you should not leave your easier. bottles. That's way that's easier because you've never
0: yeah. had to buy lingerie for yourself.
4: I guess I'm just saying, like, it's just it's not about like whether you should or shouldn't be doing it. It's like, do you really want mom and dad to see this shit? That's all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
4: It is nice. It is nice.
0: Can't <laughs> share the picture here. <laughs> it's not too crazy. A little purple number. Nice. Taste for I mean, dudes dudes in the nineties used to be like, dude, she wears a thong. Like, oh no way. <laughs> you yeah. know? We evolved just like running backs. All right. Thanks to Steve. <laughs> Thanks to Kyle, Uh, Ryan Rosillo podcast. Please subscribe, download, ring your spot.
5: sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little